Welcome to the first season of Average Joe's Rawcast. My name is Joe Fuentes. I'm a husband, a father of two teenagers, a 17-year-old son and a 15-year-old daughter. Also a father of four pets, two dogs and two cats. I've been a nursing home administrator since 2001. I am a co-owner of Chill Pots, a paint-your-own pottery studio. A very cool place that my run my wife runs on a daily basis. So welcome to my podcast and here we go. Okay everybody, welcome back to my raw cast. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since I've done a raw cast. Uh, been kind of busy. Uh, been kind of making a few decisions in my life that's impacted this uh, time and I'll get into that. But, um, so the fire updates, so I traditionally, uh, have been giving fire updates on the wildfires in Colorado. So I'll go ahead and do that. I think this will be the last time I have to give updates on it, uh, cause there's some good news on some of the fires. So I'm just going to kick back here and, uh, got my, uh, little bourbon here that I'm taking a sip out of kind of relaxing on a Saturday night I had manager on duty this weekend um, four hours today so took a little nap and then I thought I'd come up here and do my podcast so um, drinking my little bourbon is called rebel yell so if you hear me yell or scream you'll know why so back to fire updates here we go the Cameron Peak fire you know the one up by Red Feather the one that was uh, west of Fort Collins. It started on August 13th, if you guys remember, and it is the largest wildfire in Colorado history. And uh, thank goodness we don't have the smoke and everything from that still. So what that ended up burning is 208,913 acres. So yeah, that was a huge fire. of course, there's no evacuate evacuations right now, so good news on that. They still do have 424 fire personnel up there working on this fire. So, um, you know, they definitely want to still keep an eye on it. The great news on that, it is now 92% contained. And uh, the, there is minimal fire behavior, they call it. So basically what that means is that the fire is just smoldering right now in uh, hot spots. So those personnel are still keeping an eye on that and still making sure those smoldering spots don't, uh, you know, get hot enough where they flare up again and start burning again. So uh, if you remember last time, October 31st is when that was anticipated to be contained but now they've estimated the containment on, on November 22nd. So um, not too far off uh, with 92% containment and them that many personnel still on it. I think that Cameron Peak fire is pretty much going to be put out then. So that's great news. And like I said, uh, near northern Colorado, we're not seeing the effects of the fire that much anymore. You can actually see the mountains and our air quality is really improved. So Really good news on that. So that'll probably be the last update I have to do on the Cameron Peak fire. And um, that's good with me. So we'll go on to the East Troublesome fire. And that one's the one that started up in Grand County. And that one started on October 14th. And the East Troublesome fire is the second largest fire in Colorado history. And the acreage that that burned was 193,812. And the total personnel, the fire personnel they have working on that one right now is 107 fire personnel. So not quite as many as the Cameron Peak fire. Um, They're considering that around 60% contained. And if you remember, this is the uh, one that evacuated Estes Park. I talked about last time where all that traffic they were having traffic jam getting out of Estes Park because they had evacuation orders in uh, the uh, East Troublesome Fire did end up uh, destroying 366 residences and 214 outbuildings and commercial structures so you know quite a few residents and outbuildings and commercial structures destroyed with this one 
Um, there is what they consider, just like the Cameron Peak fire, they're considering minimal fire behavior with just smoldering. And their estimated containment on this one is November 30th. So right around the end of November, both those, the first and second largest uh, wildfires in Colorado will be totally contained. So that is wonderful news. Uh, just a quick update too on the Callwood fire. If you remember, that's the one that was in the mountains above Boulder. That one started on October 17th. It burned 10,106 acres. The total personnel working on that are 12 people. And so not a lot of fire personnel uh, still working on that one. Interesting thing about the uh, Callwood fire is the fire will be monitored with a remote camera. So that will tell you right there there's not much activity since they can kind of use the remote camera to look over it and make sure nothing, uh, you know, no hot spots um, jump up on that one either. So the uh, containment date for that one is actually today. They are estimating November 14th. Uh, and just before the podcast, uh, I couldn't find anything on it for an update, but I would think that it probably is going to be contained today or tomorrow, something like that. So really good news for those around Boulder. And if you remember me talking about this, this was a really costly fire with all those million, multi-million dollar homes up there in the mountains of Boulder. And um, so it was really expensive um, fire with a lot of damage, a lot of collateral damage on that. And then the last but not least is the Mullen Fire. And the Mullen Fire is the one that was 38 miles west of Laramie, Wyoming. And that one started on October 17th. And if you remember, that one really burned quickly. And, um, you know, we thought it, we thought it and the uh, Mullen Fire were going to combine and everything like that. It ended up burning um, 176,878 acres. And that Mullen fire is pretty much contained right now. There in Wyoming, they had quite a bit of snow and uh, really uh, dampened out that fire. So really good news on all four of those fires. So yeah, this will definitely be the last time I update you on them. And uh, I was hoping for this day. So thank you. Well, I don't know if any of the rest of you are sick of uh, politics and the election and all that jazz, but I certainly am. I'm going to touch on it here a little bit, but I was kind of waiting for the election to get over and kind of give some of my uh, insight, some of my opinions on it. Uh, you know, I think Biden's pretty much going to win this thing. Of course, uh, I think the good news on that is if you're not a real Biden fan, which I'm certainly not, I think the good news on that is the Republicans still are going to have uh, control of the Senate and uh, the Demo Democrats look like they're going to have control of the House. But the reason I say that is because I don't think you want to have one party have the presidency, have control of the Senate and the House. I think they would be pushing a lot of things through that. Um, a lot of us would cringe at and not be real excited about, um, you know, Biden. I think he's pretty much a puppet. I said that before, and I still believe that. I think a lot of the uh, Democratic bigwigs there, they control Biden, and uh, he just kind of goes along with whatever they want. Um, you know, they have the strings on him, and he's their little marionette. So, um also, a lot of people are still saying they don't think he can, with his age and just kind of the way he, you know, acts and kind of his health and that kind of thing, they don't think he is going to be able to uh, fill out his full term. So a lot of people are nervous because they think that Harris, the uh, vice president, will be taking over for him. And, uh, you know, she's a very radical uh, when she was in the Senate, she's very radical. And 
a lot of people are nervous with that. I'm a little nervous with that. But you know what? If Biden's a president, then we will go with that. And, you know, not much we can do. So got to make the best of it. And like I've always said, it's really the uh, presidential election is probably not going to affect your day-to-day life as much as you think it is. It's normally the uh, local politics that affects you more than anything. So that's probably where we really need to put our energy and um in is the local politics you know trump continues to fight the legality of the votes and if they're vote counted correctly and this kind of thing i mean really 2020 could this yet go any other way of course this is going to happen um i think it's a lost cause for him Maybe the positive part of it, maybe it'll bring to light, maybe that we need to shore up and make sure that our ballots are counted legally and there's a little more oversight by both parties on making sure this is happening. So I guess that's the positive part of it. But, um, you know, that Biden's pretty much going to get into this. Uh, I think uh, Trump's kind of fighting a losing battle, in my opinion, but... Uh, you know what? I think that's his right, though. If uh, he wants to take this all the way up to the Supreme Court and they feel like there was injustices and they feel like they need to do that, then you know what? More power to them. Uh, like I said, maybe it will straighten out our elections and how we vote and how we count. So um, now with uh, local politics here in Colorado. Oh, boy. Po- Colorado is definitely a blue state now, isn't it? You know, a few few years back, there were certain uh, counties in Denver and stuff, and it would kind of, I know Jefferson County, they would always say that it, the way that Colorado voted kind of depended on Jefferson County. It seemed like that was the county you looked at. But uh, Denver and all the metro counties are now strongly Democratic and very blue. So uh, kind of in the middle of uh, a bunch of red states, you have Colorado because Utah is usually red, Kansas is usually red and Wyoming and uh, New Mexico's blue also, it seems like. But yeah, uh, Colorado, no doubt about that, that they are blue now. Uh, Some of the things that they voted on here in Colorado, I know that um, one of the things was that it was Proposition 114, the reintroduction reintroduction of gray wolves on public lands. Uh, personally, I voted no for this. I had done a little research on this, and they had done a million-dollar study, maybe a little over a million dollars, the state did, in uh, Fish and Game. And they came up with the uh, conclusion that they did not think that it was a good or a wise idea for the ecosystem to uh, introduce wolves back into Colorado. But, uh, you know what, Coloradoans, because, you know, uh, Denver and uh, Pueblo and Colorado Springs probably are the ones that, you know, a lot of city folk, they are the ones that voted it. It was very close, but they voted it back in where we were going to reintroduce wolves back into the, uh, into Colorado. So, uh, you know, there's always unintentional consequences. And whenever anything like that happens, I mean, when they introduced uh, wolves back into Yellowstone, it changed the uh, way the river flowed and direction uh, also I think it was in Michigan or Wisconsin somewhere up there they uh, introduced wolves back into that area and those wolves ate a bunch of the beaver so the beaver couldn't dam up some of the rivers so it changed the direction of the rivers up there too so uh, also a lot of farmers and ranchers up in the mountains of course they definitely voted against it. They don't want their livestock uh, threatened by wolves, which they will be. Um, I know a lot of people were saying, well, you know what? The uh, government, Colorado government, will replace that livestock. But you know what? It's better not to have the livestock taken in the first place. So, um, you know, I mean, I was thinking to myself, what if you have a dairy cow or something? And of course, uh, you know, it gets killed by the wolves and what kind of price do they put on that? Because, you know, a lot of those dairy cows, they live a lot of years and produce a lot of milk. And, 
give you a lot of money over those years. So how do they put a value on some of that livestock? It seems like anytime the government, you know, when they do eminent domain or anything like that, where they have a railroad go through your property, they um, will give you money for it. Seems like it's never the market value that you could get out on the free market. So I would be worried if I had some of the farmers or ranchers up there, but it passed. So I guess we'll see how it goes. Um, another one that um, I was looking at here, let's see. It was the Colorado Proposition 113 to join the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. You know, I've done a lot of reading pros and cons on the Electoral College and the popular vote, and I I have a hard time. I mean, there's good points back and forth for both of them. I don't think it's a real clear-cut issue for me. I did vote to continue the Electoral College just because that's in the Constitution. That's what we've been doing forever, and, you know, it's going to take a lot to change that. But um, I don't know if anybody could sway me one way or the other. I'm definitely open to it. But um, so it did pass in Colorado to join the compact for the popular vote, uh, which is no surprise because I think uh, everybody around here was throwing a fit when Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton and she actually had more of the popular vote. So I think that's what swayed a lot of people to vote that way in Colorado, being the blue state that we are. Um, also, let's see, what was the other one? Oh, yeah, the Colorado proposition on uh, create new tax on nicotine products. I actually voted no on this. I mean, any time that they... Uh, want to have tax money they always put it on nicotine well hell put it on the weed here in Colorado uh, I know they tax that pretty good too but seems to be like the nicotine tax they always put it on there and it's always like really robust tax that people have to pay um, it's I mean you know I don't think people are evil that smoke I know it's kind of taboo in today's society and everything like that, but good Lord, there's a lot worse things than people smoking, I would think. Uh, you know, I I think uh, people overeating is probably just as bad as smoking, to tell you the truth, uh, with our rise in diabetes and that kind of thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of it, too. I think I ate my way into type 2 diabetes, and I'm an emotional eater, and grab that snack and you know other people grab their cigarettes so um you know they have warning labels on movies and everything else you may see smoking oh well big damn deal i mean really uh, so yeah they really put smoking as evil and all that kind of thing well there's far worse things than smoking in the world but yeah they'll just keep nick they'll just keep taxing nicotine and that kind of thing and you know, why don't they tax junk food more? Why don't they tax uh, things like that? You know, greasy foods, supposedly not good for you. But yeah, you know what, that's just my opinion. So uh, that's an easy target for them. And then uh, Colorado Proposition 115 to ban abortion after 22 weeks. Yeah, I think I posted something on Facebook and showed a baby at 22 weeks. And I said, great job, Colorado. Of course, they wanted to maintain the current law, you know, where you could ban, uh, where you could have an abortion at 22 weeks. I mean, come on. That is, I think that is so morally wrong. Uh, you know, if, when the dang baby's waving at you and they have all the features of a baby, and you're killing it at that time. Oh, yeah, I know. You're saying women have their choice and all this thing. They also have a choice to do the morning after pill. And they also have a choice to maybe do the abortion, you know, far before that. So I, I don't know. I just do not agree with that. And it doesn't surprise me that Colorado passed that. It really doesn't. Uh, you know, they're pretty liberal on everything, as <laughs> as we know. And um, yeah, that, that one just rubs me the wrong way. And I, I just think that is so totally wrong. Um, I wonder if, uh, at 22 weeks, if a lady got shot by a gentleman or something, uh, or got killed in a car accident with somebody that was drinking and driving, I wonder if they would, uh, 
charge him with two homicides with that fetus at 22 weeks. That would be interesting. Um, be be pretty uh, ironic if you got charged with a uh, murder for that, but yet, uh, you know, in Colorado, you could go and have an abortion at 22 weeks. So I don't know, just, just like I said, rubs me the wrong way. So uh, it did pass though. But yeah, so politics, uh, you know, they're going to be over and for now, and we'll continue to move on. We'll see how this whole Trump thing, uh, I pretty much know how it's going to turn out, but we'll see how long it prolong. He prolongs this and we'll see how the transition goes into the, uh, into the presidency. We'll see how that, how that, um, shapes up and we'll see if, uh, Trump and Biden actually will meet and Trump will do the briefing with him. So, uh, more to come on that. So I turned uh, 48 years old on Thursday, November 12th. Um, and I've been saying for a long time here that I just feel a change is coming or need some kind of a change. Well, folks, I did something uh, kind of radical for me. Usually um, I'm Mr. Responsible with a uh, concrete plan and my life laid out and, you know, everything is in control and I'm in control of everything. Well, not this time. Um, so I've been pretty stagnant in my career. I've mentioned that before. Uh, and just my gut just told me I needed something different or something new. I mean, I've been a nursing home administrator in a facility, um, you know, different facilities since 2001, since I've been licensed. Um, I've been with Sava Senior Care, which is the um, owner of Windsor Healthcare Center, where is my actual facility that I've been. I've been with uh, Sava Senior Care, you know, 10 years off and on. I was at Spring Creek over at Fort Collins to help them out and kind of straighten out that facility at one time for about a year. Um, then the rest of the time I was at Windsor Healthcare Center. I went back to Kansas for a short time, but then I came back to Colorado. So yeah, off and on, it's been about 10 years with Sava Senior Care and Windsor Healthcare and, and that year at uh, Spring Creek. So... Um, I moved here from Kansas, uh, you know, hick from the sticks, um, no corporate experience. Um, I was in Kansas. I ran a facility. It was a mom and pop facility there. Um, you know, I met with the owner daily and a uh, really good experience there. Um, you know, if you needed something, you just met with Harold and you told Harold we needed this. And usually Harold was pretty good about getting it and everything. But then I came out to Colorado. We just, you know, we needed a change there too. We we were looking at facilities in Texas possibly to go to. We were wide open. Uh, my wife and I, we just said, you know what? We need the change. We're going to go anywhere that um, we feel like we could make a good life for ourselves. And so uh, back then, I uh, remember one popped up and it was on the uh, front range of Colorado. And so I was like, oh, you know what? That's interesting. Uh, Amanda's sister lives up in Longmont and maybe it'll be up in that area or something. So uh, funny thing is uh, what I did with my resume is I faxed it in. <laughs> so yeah, you know, now you'd be emailing and everything, but I went ahead and put it in the fax machine. And uh, lo and behold, not 20 minutes later, I get a phone call and response from uh, a gentleman that was uh, a recruiter and uh, actually his name was Jim Sanner and the funny thing is is he was the father of my soon-to-be boss in Colorado Wayne Sanner so I came up from uh, Beloit Kansas and uh, actually I think we lived in Concordia Kansas at that time and I drove up here stayed in a hotel or motel there in Loveland came over for the interview at Windsor Healthcare 
It was a interview with all the department heads and, uh, of course, Wayne and uh, Vicki Adams at that time, who was helping Wayne out. And so uh, apparently it went well. I did get that job and started at Windsor Healthcare. So we moved the family up from uh, Concordia, Kansas, up to uh, Windsor, Colorado. And you know what? It's been a pretty good ride with uh, Windsor Healthcare. But what I did on my birthday on November 12th is I put my resignation in after being with the company that long. So my final day with Windsor Healthcare is going to be December 12th. And uh, actually, it'll probably be December 11th. I think that's a Friday and December 12th is a Saturday. I don't plan in going I don't plan on going in on that Saturday. Uh, I mean, so, you know, it's a hick from the sticks came up to the big corporate world because uh, Sava Senior Care is a big provider. They uh, based out of Atlanta, Georgia. They had, you know, over 200 and some facilities all across the United States. I, you know, a bunch in Colorado, 30 some in Colorado, I think it is. And, uh, I had no clue, never worked for corporate America, never knew how that whole thing worked. But you know what? Um, I did a pretty good damn job with that. I uh, adjusted. I kind of learned the ins and outs of what the corporate world kind of expected out of you. I had uh, a really good boss at that time, uh, Wayne Sander. He was the uh, district director of operations and you know, I learned a lot from that guy, uh, really good businessman, really, uh, he's pretty down to earth too. You can talk to him and he's ran buildings before, so he knows how it goes. But, uh, I learned a lot of, uh, business from him. I learned a lot of, uh, going in the facility and make sure it's clean. Um, uh, you know, there's just numerous things I learned from him. So I couldn't have had a better boss to start out in the corporate world and, uh, I've had, you know, good bosses also throughout the years, but, uh, in my tenure there at, uh, Windsor Healthcare and, you know, Spring Creek for the year, I've seen a lot of turnover. I will tell you that, uh, just this business in general, the nursing home business, you see a lot of turnover, a lot of movement. Uh, it's a very stressful and tough, uh, tough occupation tough career it really is you have uh, the most regulated industry in america quite honestly um, there's so much scrutiny you know and the regulations keep changing they keep getting more and more uh, well harder they uh, you know staffing gets tough more challenging I would say probably the average length of stay for a nursing home administrator, I would guess, is probably two and a half, three years. So uh, I know, you know, early in my career, I'd move around every couple of three years to facilities. A lot of my friends would give me a lot of grief and go, good Lord, you know, you're always moving from different towns and seems like you're, you don't keep the job that long and that kind of thing. But that's kind of the nature of the business. You kind of have to do that. Um, kind of an exception here when we moved to Windsor, you know, we were pretty much settled in, uh, like the facility, the facility, I think like me for the most part. And so, you know, we just kind of settled in here and, you know, a decade passes pretty quickly, but th saying that also is sometimes you kind of stagnate in your career and, um, uh, uh, I would say that a nursing home administrator probably, and so other jobs, they say this too, I think they probably ought to move around every three or four years just so you don't stagnate, you learn new things. There's always new things in these buildings popping up that you can learn from. Uh, my thing, I guess, was I'm a, what they would consider a, what they called a senior administrator. So, um, and I don't think that's just because I'm old. 
you know, 48 now. But now the senior administrator role is you are kind of a mentor to other administrators. A lot of new administrators have come. Um, I had had a boss, uh, Greg Brett, who actually had me kind of over the Eastern Plains in Colorado, the Yuma facility, the uh, Sunset, which was in Brush, and one out in Sterling. So, you know, they're kind of spread out out there. And I would go out and help them. They had some regulatory problems that uh, quite a few in the year that I was helping out with them. And so I would go out there and help them out and help the administrator and kind of mentor them and kind of get them through and kind of show them some of the systems and that kind of thing. So, you know, I enjoyed that. You know, it was tough at times when there was two surveys going on and they were both going kind of bad. But uh, Greg was pretty supportive on that. And I learned a lot doing that. Uh, I just kind of felt like in today's Sava and the company today, and I will just tell you on a side note, um, they did announce that they are, they're a management company. They don't actually own the buildings, but they do manage them. They are putting them up for sale as far as other places to, uh, other companies to come in and manage. So right now the company's a little bit in influx. I mean, it's not really changed day to day, but you know, we could have some tours coming in and people, other companies coming in to manage these facilities. And I just kind of felt like there was no room for advancement, um, just kind of spinning, just kind of, you know. Um, also, uh, there was a job that came of, uh, that was uh, like a, what would, what did they call that? Like a um, regional administrator where the administrator kind of go around and help out at those buildings or maybe even put their license on the wall at those buildings um, if administrator quit or that kind of thing. Well, they didn't even advertise this um, area nursing home administrator position. And, uh, you know, whether I wanted it or not or others wanted it or not, there's some other couple other administrators have been around a little while. Um, we didn't even get that option to tell them we wanted it or not or interview for it, you know. Um, honestly, I probably would have interviewed for it because, um, like I said, I needed a change. I needed something new. So I definitely would have seen what it was all about. But uh, I guess the kind of the thing that rubbed me the wrong way on that, too, is in our facilities, if we have a position come open, we have to put that up and advertise it. And a lot of times we get a lot of people that aren't even qualified for it that interview, but we have to do the interviews and that kind of thing. And uh, so I thought that was, I thought that was a little, uh, uh, not the, not the right way to do that. I guess I'll put it out there. And, you know, also uh, they will fire administrators. Just they'll come in, they'll fire you that day with no warning really. And um, in the facilities, I mean, we can have a nurse or a CNA or, you know, anybody, uh, nurse manager, and we have to put them on what they call an action plan. So we have to tell them what they're doing wrong. We have to, um, you know, give them like 30, 60 days in order to improve it. And if we don't see improvement, then we can get rid of them. But they don't have to do that for nursing home administrators for some reason. They don't even tell them what they're doing wrong. A lot of times they just come in, fire their asses. And I've seen that a couple of times, uh, two or three times actually in the last few months. So I don't know, just kind of a interesting way to do that. Uh, I mean, I said before, I've had a pretty good run at Windsor Healthcare. We've always been pretty profitable. I mean, over the years, uh, made quite a bit of money for the Sava Senior Care for that company. Um, yeah, I, was, I mean, I was compensated. I have no complaint. I was compensated well. Had no complaint as far as that goes. But we always had good regulatory outcomes, too. And wherever we'd have surveys, even when some of the complaint surveys had come in from pain-in-the-ass families and uh, that kind of thing, we always handled it very well. We always got through it. We never had really uh, any bad outcomes or really horrible surveys. We always handled those. And uh, that's even in light of the state really doesn't like our company. Uh, they really didn't a few years ago, and I don't think they do much more now. And uh, 
And I'm not just being paranoid about that. I've talked to administrators at Colorado Healthcare Association meetings that are from other companies. And I'm asking about, did you have to do this or that? And they kind of like on the abuse and stuff. They didn't do a quarter of the stuff that we had to do at SAVA. I mean, the state definitely had a target on our backs. And um, luckily, Windsor Healthcare, we always got through there and uh, we always did a good job with surveys and that kind of thing. But some of the other facilities really got hammered. And I know it was because they were associated a lot of times with SAVA. And I thought that was pretty unfair from the state. But, you know, that's kind of the way it went. Uh, so I was kind of thinking about... Uh, kind of... Uh, my tenure there at the building and stuff. And I, you know, I think they kind of like me. I think they kind of ignored me in a way, kind of took advantage of me in the extent that I always ran the building kind of by myself. I didn't really need much support from uh, district or, you know, divisional people. And I think that's because we never really had any blow-ups. We were pretty steady. We did the system each day. We were pretty repetitive how we did things. We covered things, um, which is not a bad thing. But, um, you know, a lot of regional people, they would go to the hot spots. They'd go to the buildings that were really imploding. And, you know, I don't blame them at all. That's where I'd go to. That's where I'd put my energy. But, um you know, I, I think they are probably going to miss some of that consistency that we've had in that building. Hopefully they can continue it. I'm, I don't see any reason why they couldn't. But, uh, yeah, we, we really didn't have to use a lot of those resources. So um, we were always pretty steady there. So, yeah, I'm pretty proud of my tenure at Windsor. I think it went well. Uh, you know, there was always ups and downs. But I think for the most part, the biggest thing is uh, – that we have had some turnover because it is long-term care, but uh, we've reinvented as a team several times. I mean, I've had to recruit and reinvent te uh, teams. I've had to bring people in that from other buildings and different things, and we just kind of always meshed, and we kind of always did it the Windsor way. And uh, I, I guess I could kind of say that it's a little bit like the New England Patriots thing, you know. I'm not saying we're that successful, but, uh, you know, you would come in and you would kind of do it the Windsor way. You wouldn't deviate from that. Um, but over the years, we've won company uh, trophies and stuff. We've won Blue Ribbon a couple of times where uh, the company would come in and they would do inspections on your cleanliness. They would do look at your outcomes. They, I mean, they would cover just pages and pages of stuff and your customer service, uh, just numerous things. Uh, and we won the blue ribbon twice and they would give us a big, like a $40,000 paycheck and we'd be able to split it amongst all the staff, which was, I always liked winning that one because all staff were involved with that. So yeah, we've won that a couple of times and that's, that's a really big deal with the company. We've won uh, different other awards. Uh, what, what was the other awards? Where we got the uh, Eagle Award, where uh, the DON and the administrator got to uh, go on a trip, and they would get like housekeeping for a year and that kind of thing. So, yeah, we we've won the awards there. We are a pretty consistent team. Uh, Trying to think of anything else that we had won there. No, I don't think there's anything else. Uh, no, but as far as director of nursings go, there's a high turnover with a lot of directors of nursings, too. Um, I was trying to count earlier how many I had. I think I had four different DONs in my tenure at Windsor Healthcare, and um, you know, all pretty strong um, DONs over the years, but I think there was only one DON that I couldn't get along with, and <laughs> I was thinking about that. I think I was even talking to my wife about that a couple of days ago, and uh, this DON, uh, just me and her did not gel. She, uh, 
I just didn't like how she treated staff. I thought that, you know, she delegated to the point where um, I don't even know why she needed to be there. She delegated so much, you know, delegation's great, but to a certain extent, but sometimes you got to get your hands dirty a little bit. But I remember uh, I uh, was just like, how am I going to work with this woman? And we had a Colorado Healthcare Association convention, um, you know, where they had trainings and different stuff down in Denver yearly. Of course, they don't do it anymore because of the COVID. But uh, my boss at that time was Wayne Sanner. I mentioned him earlier. And, you know, I was like, "Ah, I was a little nervous to go talk to him about this because, you know, kind of a pride thing. You can't make it work. I mean, I've worked with so many DONs over the years and I've got along with all of them and we worked well together. Uh, so I go down to Colorado Healthcare Association in Denver, and I finally went up to Wayne. I was like, hey, Wayne, can I talk to you for a minute? And he's like, yeah, sure. And I said, you know what? I just cannot. I have tried. I cannot work with this D-O-N. And Wayne just kind of smiles at me, and he goes, I can't believe it took you this long. <laughs> I was so relieved with that. You know, he understood. He's ran buildings before. He knew this person. Yeah, that was his response. I can't believe it took you this long. So he had her go to another building and I stayed at Windsor Healthcare and everything worked out for me anyway. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, Yeah, I've had a lot of bosses uh, over the years that were over the buildings and stuff. And, you know, I got along with all of them. I learned from the majority of them. Uh, They all had their different talents and they all had their different things to learn from. So um, I appreciated all of them. Uh, No complaints on any of them, honestly. And then uh, the thing is, too, with that position, with, uh, you know, the one they're called like district division district of operations or whatever there's different titles they always change the titles on them but those positions have a lot of high turnover too because you know you can't you have you're over 20 administrators you can't fire every administrator so a lot of times if uh, the census is down or finances are down and just not making the money and regulatory really gets out of hand and they're really getting ham- their states hammering us for regulatory stuff and several buildings. A lot of times that position, you know, gets the blame and that's an easy position to kick out and replace besides replacing a bunch of administrators. So, um, yeah, I'm just kind of reflecting on my tenure and my 10 years there. Um, so I thought about this, uh, about a year ago, I was thinking, I was talking to my wife and I was like, you know what? I just think it's time for something new. And you know what? My wife's very supportive. Uh, she always, always is telling me, you know what? You, you need to do what makes you happy. You need to do what you think you need to do. Um, you know, very supportive wife. I'm very lucky that way. So, like I said, about a year ago, I was thinking about making a change and looking for something else, whether it was a different industry, whether it was, um, you know, a, I don't know, a different facility. The thing is that I always say, uh, if you go to a different facility, all you're doing is uh, you'll still have problems, just might be a few different problems, maybe worse. So, uh, and the thing is, I had Windsor running so smoothly, quite honestly, with uh the department heads I had that been there for a long time. Um, I mean, we've had department heads that's been there longer than me, actually. So kind of like uh, I remember my maintenance man. I think I was in Windsor way back in the day uh, for about a week, maybe two weeks. And uh, I hired my maintenance man and he's still there. So that's something to say for uh, longevity there at Windsor medical records ladies she's been there for longer than i have she's worked her way up uh trying to think anything else i had an i have an awesome housekeeping supervisor uh so a lot of the key positions stayed and i think that's kind of the key to success in nursing homes uh you know, every study you ever see in nursing homes, it's always if the NHA, the nursing home administrator and the director of nursing have um, long tenure and they stay more than four or five years, then uh, 
you can have a lot of things, a lot of good results, a lot of good outcomes. So with the high turnover in the industry, you can see why a lot of buildings struggle. But yeah, so I tend to overthink things. So I probably overthought this too, but I kind of did a radical thing, like I said, with uh, I just kind of pulled the trigger. I mean, there is never going to be a perfect time to quit or take a risk. And you know what? I'm, you know, closer to 50 than I am 40 by far. So I thought, yeah, this is the right time to take a risk. And, um, you know, my options are kind of wide open right now. So um, we don't leave, we don't lead some uh, real dramatic or high cost life, really. We're pretty simple people and we try to keep our finances down. We try to pay everything off and try to keep debt free and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, uh, I think, um, this is the time that I'm, I'm doing it. Um, but yeah, like I said, a year ago, I thought about it, uh, you know, probably December, January, I was getting pretty serious about it. And then COVID hit. And I, I told my wife, there is no way I'm leaving this facility with COVID right now. You know, I, I can't leave these guys. So, um, so I went ahead and we, for another year, um, went with it and that's fine. I worked out good, but yeah, I know COVID's not going away anytime soon now, but it's not so new and people know how to kind of handle it now. And we kind of, you know, we, we know who to protect and we know how to treat it better. So a uh, little more comfortable leaving now. Uh, so some of my options I'm kind of looking at is I would think that maybe I could do some interim work. I've always been interested in that. And that's where you go into some of the buildings, either they're a little troubled or they're just waiting on an administrator quit, let's say. So, you know, you, you stay in there for a couple of months or whatever until they find the right fit as an administrator. Um, so I'm kind of looking at some of those options for interim there. If you're willing to travel, there is jobs everywhere for interim administrator. And that might be kind of exciting for me to, you know, travel to different states and that kind of thing. My kids are that age where, you know what, they're pretty independent right now. They both have jobs. They both have cars. They kind of do their own thing. And I don't know if they need the old man around as much as they used to. So, and they're very supportive too. They're really excited about new possibilities for me. So that's pretty awesome. Um, you know, uh, I've even thought about, you know, if I wanted to stay local at some time, maybe I get into assisted living facility, uh, or over some assisted living facilities that, that, that industry is not just quite as tough as nursing homes or not scrutinized quite as much as nursing homes. So, um, you know, or maybe I do a different industry, a different career altogether. You know, I'm, I'm open to anything right now. So, uh, pretty excited. I, you know, excitedly nervous too, because, <laughs> uh, this is kind of a leap of faith I've taken that, you know, I normally don't. And a lot of people I've talked to are like, dude, you're crazy. I'd never do that. I'd never just resign without a hundred percent plan, but you know what? Sometimes you got to do it just to live a little bit. So, you know, what fun would it be if you had a total plan, right? Got to do something new. And like I said, my wife and kids are very supportive. So here we go. And, uh, as far as when I resigned and people's reactions and stuff, you know, it's, it's typical stuff. I mean, you know, I'm sure people wish me well and that kind of thing. But, you know, basically people are kind of out for themselves. They need to look, you know, they're kind of, how is this going to impact me? Who the hell's the next administrator is going to come in? Am I going to get along with them, uh, him or her? And, you know, are they going to change a bunch of things and that kind of thing? So um, that's kind of the nature of nature of that, where people kind of look out for themselves and ultimately, uh, uh, I've read the Stoics and stuff, and I don't know if anybody's familiar with Stoics. Marcus Aurelius, probably the most famous Stoic, but I saw an interesting quote here that uh, kind of tells you how much people think about you and honestly how much, uh, you know, uh, 
really uh, you impact their lives to a certain extent, but really everybody's kind of out for their little tight circle and themselves. So let me read this quote. I, I don't know who this quote's by, but I would think it was probably Marcus Aurelius in his um, journal. But it says, I realize how that people are not thinking about you and me or caring what is said about us. They are thinking about themselves before breakfast, after breakfast, and right on until minutes past midnight. They would be a thousand times more concerned about a slight headache of their own than they would about the news of your death or mine. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And I guess the moral of that story, what I'm trying to say is, you know what? You got to live your own life. You got to fucking do what you want to do in life. And I'm taking the risk. And if it works out, fantastic. If it doesn't, it's going to be a learning experience. And you know what? Failure teaches you a lot of things. So you know what? Say a prayer for me, guys, and I will keep you updated, man. Love y'all. Talk to you later. Okay, so we'll go ahead and end the raw cast on a little light note. Got a couple of dad jokes for you. And then I got a, of course, my favorite Hispanic word of the day. So first, the dad jokes. So I thought this one was kind of funny. I told my girlfriend she drew her eyebrows too high. She seemed surprised. (laughs) And then... What is the difference between a hippo and a zippo? One is really heavy and the other is a little lighter. (laughs) Come on, those are pretty good. Okay, so now we'll go to uh, the Hispanic word of the day. We'll do a couple of these. The first Hispanic word of the day is address. Address. My transvestite friend would not borrow my suit. He wanted a dress instead. Okay, my second Hispanic word of the day is strawberry. Strawberry. My horse likes to lay in the straw. He thinks strawberry good. All right, guys. Well, I'm glad we're I'm back and uh, appreciate you listening and Hope you all have a great weekend, a great week. Talk at you later. Bye.